Welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators Podcast. My name's Hannah Turnbull. And I'm Morgan Sinclair. We're two non-diet dietitians, entrepreneurs, and Enneagram 7s here to talk shop about the business side of things. From managing a team of clinicians, to building a cohesive brand, to figuring out how the heck to pay yourself, we get deep down in it talking about what it actually takes to start, run, and grow your weight-inclusive business. The good and the messy. We know your degree didn't include any business classes, at least not any applicable to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. This is why we are on a mission to bring business education to other weight-inclusive clinicians. Say sayonara to all the hours spent on Google and hello to information that is actually relevant. Let's dive into today's episode. Happy Monday, Weight Inclusive Innovators. Today, we're going to be chatting about niches. We're going to talk about how to determine your niche and why it's important in your business. But before we dive into today's episode, let's check in with Morgan. Morgan, what were your business highs and lows this week? Oh, man. So... High of the week. I feel like this week was just a good week all around. So I'm very thankful for that because I feel like that has been missing the past few weeks that we've been recording. So it feels good to have like a nice accomplished week. But the highest of high this week is that I officially launched the eating expedition trip to Northern Italy. That'll be happening in September of 2022. People can now sign up for it. It is a 10 day food focused tour of Northern Italy. Holy shit, dude. That is going to be so awesome. I, I, I can't believe it's finally happening. I've tried to make this happen so much and this dang pandemic keeps getting in the way. But I got the the green light from the couple that I'm working with in Italy who's helping me book everything. Um, that as long as you're vaccinated, we should be good to go. So I uh, already had one person sign up for the trip, like within 24 hours of launching it, which felt incredible because it is such a leap of faith doing something like this. Like, obviously, people want to go to Italy and like eat their way through Italy, like no doubt about that. And it's an investment, like you're going to be you to, you know, pay for travel, pay for your flights, all of that. And I totally get that. And so it's absolutely terrifying knowing that I could launch this and it could totally flop. So it feels really good to have one person already signed up. Absolutely. I was looking at the agenda of things you have planned and I was looking at it from a potential attendee point of view, and then also a business point of view and the attendee point of view. I'm like, Oh my God, this sounds incredible. Literally everything that we could ask to do in Italy, all very organized and a few things a day. So it's not too overwhelming and it's very tangible and well thought out. Also the amount of time and energy and money that it would take to do all those things. Otherwise on your own, is probably more than the cost of the trip. So that's my perspective from potential attendee. My perspective from a business is like, holy fucking shit. I cannot believe all the work that you had to put in to like corral the cats, talk to people, get it all set up. And it's really impressive. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad that you view it that way. Cause that's exactly, uh, the mindset that I had whenever I was, planning it because yeah, we're going to get to do some just like really cool things that yeah, it would take quite a bit of effort for you to set up on your own, such as like going to visit a black pig farm, getting a tour of the Berea pasta factory, getting to like do an olive oil tasting and an olive farm in Cinque Terre, like just like cool behind the scenes type stuff. So I'm jazzed for it. Totally. And So I've never been to Italy. It is on my list. Totally going to make it on this trip if it works in my schedule, but I kind of feel like this year is just chaotic. So I don't know yet, but you don't even know what you don't know if you've never been. So how would you know there's a black pig farm or whatever you said about cheese? (laughs) Like like you don't know what you don't know to not have to think about that or do research is awesome. Exactly. Yeah. And that's like the beauty of it. Like you literally just have to purchase your plane ticket and show up. No other planning required. Dang. (laughs) So exciting. So anyway, definitely the highest of highs this week. That being said, I had to make a lot of decisions this week, both related to that and actually launching it uh, and also just making decisions in other 
businesses and parts of the business. I was reflecting back on episode eight because uh, I just went through and edited that and listened to it. And hearing myself list out all of the things that I'm involved in, I was like, how the fuck am I surviving right now? And I know that not all of them are like pressing all the time and some of them have natural breaks and that's fine. But there's just, there's lots of things within that. I mean, even in the podcast this week or the weight inclusive innovator space this week, like the weight inclusive innovators has its own color that I coordinate things on. But then we're talking about podcast recording, conference planning. We started talking about merch this week, getting sponsors. And so all of those things are so exciting and we basically have to make decisions for every single one of them. And I feel like that was running decision making was running rampant in all of my businesses this week. So I am so decision fatigued. I am ready for a weekend of not doing much and not having to make many decisions. Side note, I was really enjoying all the merch, potential merch picks that I was getting spammed with this week. It was incredible. And we're going to have some sick ass merch. So yeah, be on the lookout for that. Thanks for making those decisions. You rock. Yes. Well, thanks for being a part of that decision-making as well. It's definitely, it definitely feels a lot less stressful whenever someone else is also helping you make the decision. So absolutely. Also when our sweatshirts come out, we each need to get one and obviously wear it every time we record a pod. (laughs) It's going to be the official, we're going to, it's going to be like our Steve jobs wardrobe. Yes. Every time that we record, we're going to be in our sweatshirts. It's Uh, going to be a hundred degrees in Houston this summer. And I'm going to be rocking my sweatshirt. Just like sweat marks under your sweating everywhere. (laughs) I love it. I love it. But what about you? What were your business highs and lows of the week? Oh man, my brain is fried, but my most successful high of the week in my business is I did a webinar with my business coach, Ken Clark, who is an incredible human in so many ways. Um, and I presented it for therapists. Mostly there were some dietitians there that I invited because I thought it would be helpful for them too on how to hire a dietitian. And I felt so in my zone of genius in that talk. And some of my therapist friends were there as well. Cause they're thinking about all the avenues to take in their business. And one of my friends just sent the kindest email of like, holy shit. I just need you to know how much you crushed that and how helpful it was. I was writing a ton of notes and I'm just so blown away by you. And that was honestly the best compliment I could ever receive. I was, I felt so seen because when I was giving the presentation, I felt so on and competent. And I love that feeling when giving talks. So that was definitely my high. One thing I was thinking about today, and this is just a business tip for those of you listening. When you do business coaching with people who are the real deal, that is networking and marketing in itself. I would not have had this opportunity if I wasn't working with Ken. And I know the same thing that happened. Well, I say that I could probably create the opportunity, but it was so easy with him. Um, And I know I think about my business coaching clients and how I get to know their businesses and their work and really can stand for them. And so if I see in a Facebook group, somebody's trying to find this group practice in this location, I'm constantly plugging people that I work with because I know the extent of their work from their business model to their clinical skills. And I just think that's so cool. So if you're ever feeling held back on business coaching for reasons around, you don't know if it'll be helpful. I totally understand from a financial perspective at certain phases in your business, if that's holding you back. However, at minimum, the payoff is networking. And that is my spiel. I love that you had such a great webinar, that feeling of being so on you like ride that high for so long. I'm so happy you got to experience that week, experience that this week. I wish I could listen to the recording of it because I can only imagine all of the wisdom and knowledge that you got to share with others and how lucky they are to get to learn from you. Yes. Well, friend, I will send you the link. So we'll talk about that off ear, off air, off (laughs) ear. (laughs) Um, but with that, my mind was really consumed by that because I just always want to do a good job and provide as much value as I can in anything I do, whether it's meeting with a client and wanting to be fully present with them and engaged, or, um, when people have business coaching sessions with me and pick my brain, or when I'm giving a talk, I am all about giving it all away and showing the F up. 
which is exhausting. And I've had to do that a lot this week. So my low is I am so tired as Morgan was kind of sharing her high and low. I was yawning behind my little mic because I am just exhausted, but that doesn't mean I'm not excited to be here as well. Um, so super tired. I have a ton of stuff to catch up on tomorrow, which is my Saturday. And I am, I'm dreading it a little bit because it's to the point where it feels like there's so much stuff that has to get done before I leave on Sunday for my Mexico trip that I'm, I'm feeling crushed. So it, it almost feels impossible to get it all done, but it has to be done. You know, that feeling. I know that feeling. It's not a fun feeling. And I am sending you all of the super magical powers of being able to just like crank through some shit tomorrow. Thank you. I am going to take myself to a coffee shop and get a big ass cold brew with some half and half and sugar. And it's going to be my, my thing that gets me through going to coffee shops always helps me. I'm like, I can totally go crank shit out if someone just provides caffeine for me and I am not within walking distance to my bed. Yep. Bedrooms in bed, never a place to crank stuff out. Never. And it's living in a studio makes that really difficult as if you're watching the YouTube video, like I'm sitting at my desk and you can see my bed behind me, but (laughs) coffee shops. It is. I believe in you. You can get all of it done. And then you have a well-deserved week off of being in the mountains in Mexico. I cannot wait. I will report back on how that goes. It's going to be fantastic. I've been looking forward to this trip for almost a year now, and it's really hard to be going when COVID is still so rampant. And, you know, there's a point of respecting COVID sucks and we have to protect people. And at the same time, how can you do things to live your life still in a way that's really conscientious and kind of others? So got boosted yesterday, um, getting tested all the way up through when I go to Mexico and then I'll test all the way back a few days, um, until I see people in person again. So I feel good about that and that's all we can do. It's all you can do. And it sounds like most of your trip is going to be outside and in the fresh air. So that always helps as well. Absolutely. And everybody on the trip, it's a requirement to be vaccinated. So I feel good about that. Yeah, absolutely. Should we dive in? Let's dive into today's episode. Today, we are going to be talking about honing in on the niche in your business. And this is a topic that I'm really passionate about, especially when it comes to branding. And I am really excited to talk through it today because I feel like of all of the things that I talk through when it comes to brand strategy and coaching around branding, this is the topic that I get most pushback on because I think it can be pretty dang scary to hone in on a niche. And so if I had to describe what a niche is, it is a specialized segment of the market that you are choosing to work with and that you are targeting whenever you are putting together marketing content and marketing yourself. And in turn, you are creating specific products or services for that specific group of people, knowing that you are trying to help them solve a specific pain point. Dang, that definition was spot on. I don't think I've ever defined niche. It's one of those words that you just kind of understand. One of the pieces is I think it's really over, not overused, but like almost made super sexy in the business space. So sometimes you'll see people on the internet who are general business coaches just talking about niches with no context. And I've always been like, what what the heck does it mean? What does it mean to have a niche? And I think in our space, and especially with your expertise in branding, it's totally straightforward kind of what a niche is and all the ways that it can look, which we will definitely go more into, but it is a specialization. It's a certain audience and you get to make that as niched as you'd like, or in the middle, or maybe you're general and no niche at all, but we're going to dive into all of that. Yes, we are. So one of the reasons that choosing a niche is so important is my go-to phrase. When you talk to everyone, you talk to no one. 
And whenever you are trying to promote what you're doing, if I I can envision being in the front of a group of a hundred people and from all walks of life, and maybe there's something that you're really passionate about, which is like one of my favorite questions. Like if you had to get up and give a Ted talk tomorrow, what would it be on? Whatever topic, you know, you're, you're, you have that topic, you're in front of these people and you have no clue any of these people's backgrounds. You don't know where they come from. You don't know how old they are. You don't know their beliefs or anything like that. And so chances are whenever you're giving this presentation over something that like you're really passionate about, you're probably not going to have everyone's attention in the room. Whenever you create a niche and you're able to explain to other people what that niche is, you're basically getting to select the hundred people that are filling the seats for your presentation. You just blew my mind and named, I mean, I love an example and it's not a metaphor, but just being able to envision how each of those scenarios would play out really encaptures why it's important to have a niche. I think there's very few places in the world where someone can stand up and give a talk and blow people's mind. The first person obviously who came to mind for me was Brene Brown because she really talks about something that is relevant to being a human, which is vulnerability and shame. And so when it's things like that, speaking to a more general audience where things can be worded to hit pain points in different people, or could be understood just by being a human, that is not the norm in many areas. And it's really cool when you can see that, but in the weight inclusive business space, having an, I mean, that's a niche in its own, right. But when you're in weight inclusive spaces, having a niche, knowing who you're talking to is going to be really important. Yes, it is. And I feel like that's one thing that I get asked a lot is like, is there ever a time where I shouldn't have a niche, which kind of, which kind of ties into like, is there a time I should never, should not have a niche versus how to determine your niche. And I am excited to hear what you think about this, but I usually say if you are a clinician, therapist, dietitian, medical provider, whoever, and you are just starting out, you haven't gotten to work with clients one-on-one quite a bit. Um, even in like for my own personal, like my design studio, when I first started out, like female entrepreneurs was my niche, which has obviously changed a lot. And that was, and that's a pretty, like female entrepreneurs is a pretty broad niche. But whenever you're starting out, I think it's really important to be open to working with a bunch of types of clients because you're never going to know who you really enjoy working with until you're actually sitting across from them and working with them and starting to understand the pain points you like working with and the traits that you like to have in clients and things like that. I started my career as a dietitian working for a eating disorder treatment center. I recognize that that's a kind of common path. I would say treatment center slash clinical or working as a dietitian in a group practice before you start owning your own business. And I think all three of those spaces just allow you to be exposed to so many different types of people, different ages, different diagnoses, different co-occurring disorders that you are able to start getting you're able to get a better understanding of the types of people you like working with. It's reminding me of the conversation we had about mission and vision of how can you possibly know until you've done the work? And that's really how it is with niches too. On the flip side of this, not having a niche can be a beginner's mindset in that I feel like I have to be so expansive and available to everybody or else I'm not going to get clients. So it can come from a place of scarcity of it, I need to serve everybody. I just need clients. I just need to get the work. And, and there's room for that too. I think very quickly people find it reinforces that if I'm talking to everyone, I'm talking to no one and also not getting to do the work you really want to do. So with niches, if you are more generalized, it's, it can go in many different directions. So we kind of talk through how it may not be helpful. Having a niche 
also might not be helpful because it can feel trapping. Sometimes I think about that as a seven with my biggest pain point being uh, not having independence or freedom. And when I was only an eating disorder clinician, that was so hard for me. It felt like so much niche and not enough variety. And so that was part of why I had a group practice. That's part of why I'm getting in the nitty gritty of insurance and doing consulting. And that's part of why I'm in the business space. Cause I want my brain to be all over. They're still interconnected and I could probably smush them into one niche, one very, very specific niche. But at the same time, all those things can be separated too, so that I don't feel trapped. Yeah. I think that's a really important point to make because even though you have a niche that you like working with does not mean that that's going to be a hundred percent of the people in your business. I think it sets you up in a place where you can be a little bit more selective. And I think that just comes with kind of like business maturity, like as your business is around for longer and like you might need come known to be the clinician that really enjoys working with X population. And it doesn't mean that that's the only person you have to work with. So like if you, you know, if your niche is teenage girls with anorexia, we're just going to throw a cliche in there. Doesn't mean that all of the people are going to be teenage girls with anorexia. And if you start working with someone when they're 17 and you need to work with them for a few years, they're not going to be a teenager by the time you're done working with them. And so I think there's room to, to ebb and flow while at the same time, whenever you are choosing a niche and using that language and those specific pain points in your marketing material, it's going to help weed out the people that you for sure know that you would not be a good fit for. Absolutely. And that's really important too, because once you can niche down, be working with the clients that you want to work with, you really get the full experience of being a clinician with that population to decide if this is the thing you want to keep doing, if this is the thing you want to build off of. So one example I'm thinking of is if you are super niched and I'm just going to make one up, Let's say you are a eating disorder dietitian who loves to work with people who were athletes and also are 18 years old. So random and yeah, but we're going to go with it. Go with that. From there, you can be a clinician in that space, really get a ton of experience, see the pain points, and then think about how you can help on a bigger scale. So maybe the next step from there is being a supervisor for other clinicians who want to be in that same niche of athletes who are 18. And then from there, maybe you could have a membership group for those clients who you think they would benefit from community, from having the athletes who are 18 all together because they have similarities and can learn from each other. There's so many ways that you can go in a niche to still keep the work varied. You nailed it. Absolutely. That's a great way to think about it of these are the people I really like working with. How can I show up in a bunch of different ways to still be able to serve that population and share my expertise and all of the research and knowledge and lived experiences that I've had working with that population? Because I think there's so much beauty and I... I have weird thoughts around the word expert whenever mm-hmm. it comes to that. Cause I think there's always room to learn and grow. And when you have a niche and that's who you're working with majority of the time, like you're going to get pretty dang good working with that population, especially if those are the, like the continuing education hours that you're seeking out to better serve that population. So you are also now in a position to be able to support other clinicians or even support, like I'm thinking in your example, Hannah, of being able to then go network with high school coaches and explain to them what an eating disorder is and being able to to continue to grow that side of it as well and be known as someone who knows what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah. Be the go-to. I also feel weird about the word expert. I prefer specialization because that shows like I have chosen to specialize in this niche and content I'm consuming, people I'm working with, talks I'm giving are all around this 
maybe 85% of the time. There's always going to be a little varied in work, which is good. But for the majority, I spend my time in this space and that is my specialization. So that means I can help you with these clients. I can do really good work with you. That's more efficient because I know a little what to expect, even though you are an individual with different needs, et cetera. And it also, I think, naturally creates this position that I think is not necessarily lacking, but getting supervision from people. And it now, as people who are specialized and niched, you'd be able to access more supervision around the types of clients that you want to work with. And I think it overall just supports a really healthy, positive community of clinicians. Totally. You know what I think about a lot with supervision? This is full circle, kind of like what I was talking about in the beginning with getting business coaching and how that's marketing, networking, connection, same thing with supervision. So not only are you learning from someone who's specialized in the niche that you really want to hone in on, but they're also going to plot you as someone that is awesome to work with when their wait list is full or when they're on a wait list, not taking any more clients. You are also in that space and a trusted source to get care for that niche. Absolutely. Nailed it. One question that I get asked a lot, and I'm excited for your feedback on this as a group practice owner, because I've worked with group practice owners as well as solo clinicians. And the question is, well, how niche should I actually get? Which I know we kind of touched on. And it's a really interesting balance of choosing a niche for you yourself as a clinician versus choosing a niche for a practice of multiple people. I think sometimes we forget in our little bubble of weight-inclusive haze providers that being a weight-inclusive haze intuitive eating provider is already a niche. And chances are, if that's the lens that we're practicing through, we're probably hiring people in our practice that are also specializing in that. And so you can already use that as a niche. Side note on that, you know, it should never be a niche. Any of those in combination with weight loss. That's all. That's my, that's my pitch. Do not make that a niche. That's like, I think of like the psychology today profiles. Uh, and I don't know if there's a version of this for dietitians, but where it's like, they list every single specialty that like you could possibly click like that is the exact opposite of choosing a niche. And I don't know about you, but whenever I go on to psychology today, cause I used to have to go like do outreach and psychology today was uh, a usual place that I would go find other clinicians. Like as soon as they list every single specialty, I'm like, I don't even want to meet with you <laughs> because I have no clue. I don't know anything about you. Like it, it's almost like a turnoff. I agree. I agree. And I get like, that can be a new person thing, right? Of like, okay, I just need to be out there and get clients like we talked about. And at the same time, it's like, I, I have no feel for the work that you do or who you are and what you care about. I know you're caring because you're a therapist, you're a clinician, you are a trainer, but I don't know what you're about. Yeah. So. It gets really confusing. And I, I would say a general, a good general rule of thumb is Whenever you are creating marketing material, specifically, I'm thinking of a website because that's usually where you would have like the most space to list out what you're doing. Intuitive eating is a niche, disordered eating, eating disorders. Those are, I would say, more of the broader niches in, in line with like the type of work that we do as weight inclusive clinicians. I would list no more than like three things though. I'm envisioning your ideal client going to your website and the work that we do is already anxiety provoking. Trusting someone else with our food and eating, going to see a therapist, like that's already kind of scary. And so whenever someone, I'm just envisioning them going to your website and now seeing like the 10 things that you offer, like I, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And I, th I mean, that just goes into like marketing and having your niche and being able to truly identify like what those pain points are and speak to them. 
But I think if you can highlight like the the lens through which you practice, having that on there is going to be super important. If there's a specific philosophy that you have, so maybe as a therapist, it's a type of modality that you use or as a dietitian, you know, even just the language you use, like, are you a non-diet or an anti-diet dietitian? Like even just honing in on that language is going to attract the people that you want to work with. And then maybe adding in, you know, one more thing about eating disorders or disordered eating, if that's your niche, or if like social justice is really important to you. I think having one of those differentiating factors that we talked about in mission and vision is going to be important to include on there as well. Um, but really limiting it to, to like three things as to recognize your niche, but not be too overwhelmed. Totally. I agree with the number three. That was exactly what was in my head. So let me ask you this. And I know this might take a moment to think about since the space that you're in isn't exactly clinician space, but what, what would you say your three things for your niche in the things that you do are? I think I have one niche and that's only working with weight inclusive clinicians. Okay. So you didn't even need three. I don't. And you know, if I needed to come up with three, I'm sure I could come up with like, I, if I had to add more in there, like people who celebrate food would probably be in there. Um, but really I only need one because I know that if someone's reaching out to me as a potential design client, coaching client, they're going to have to identify as a weight inclusive clinician And so I already know that our values are probably in alignment. And that's honestly full vulnerability moment has taken some tweaking on my end. I've had to go in and edit some things on my website to make sure that like those were the people that I was attracting. And and since I've made those edits, every single person who's reached out to me has identified as a weight inclusive, haze, intuitive eating person, clinician. I'm trying to remember exactly what phrasing, I think it's whenever I had branding and web design for people who celebrate food, I had a few clinicians reach out to me. And one of the things that I ask on a discovery call is like, tell me a little bit about the services you offer. And it was people that were like, oh, I offer intuitive eating and weight loss. And I was like, Uh, no, 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 no. And so of course I have to lean into that and say, you know, I function from a health at every size standpoint. It's really important to me that the people that I'm working with and supporting are also in alignment with that. And I've had some pushback on that. And ultimately you, it's like, as a business owner, you have to set the boundary of like, we're not going to be a good fit together. Absolutely. Here's two other people that you can reach out to who might be a better fit, but it's not me. Yeah. You know, I think my brain is going in so many directions right now. One thing I want to speak about the idea of, um, I don't do this, not in alignment with my values. I actually don't even take the step of referring to someone else because, and I mean, maybe that's messed up, but I don't want to act like it's okay to promote weight loss and intuitive eating or eating disorder work. So I just can't subscribe to that. So it's just a, Hey, I don't do that. Peace out from me. If it's clients, I still don't do that. I still won't refer them to someone. I know that it's easy to Google whatever that I'm not doing at my practice. And so if that is the autonomy they want to take, that is fine, but I am not going to support that. And that's just a values piece for me. That feels really validating to hear now that you say that, because which like my line of work is, is different because I'm referring someone out for design work, but also like, as you're saying that, the more I reflect on it, I'm like, huh, that means that, you know, they could easily Google another designer and yeah, it wouldn't be me promoting them to go get really awesome branding and web design done, still promoting something that I don't believe in. It's a hard, it's a hard balance. And I mean, that just like is, is that comes with having a niche that comes with having a specific group of people that you like to work with and want to work with. Yeah. And, you know, even in this conversation, in this moment and thinking through what does it mean if I refer somebody who does this thing that I don't agree with, this is the constant work we're doing and checking in and continuing to niche in, in a way of 
how am I really aligning with my values in the work I'm doing and how specific is it? Cause I like to get real specific sometimes. And with that, what would you say your niche is if you had to pick? Okay. I'm going to go a little bit like meta <laughs> with all this. I'm envisioning, you know, those mirrors when you see a mirror inside of a mirror inside of a mirror. So I'm going to start with me as a clinician. If I picked three things of what my niche are. Like you specifically, not the process, but like you as Hannah. Hannah, the clinician niche. Cool. <laughs> um, I really enjoy working with people with active eating disorders who are healthcare workers or in the therapy space and who are um, big feelers or highly sensitive people. So essentially what I call it is a sweet baby angel who has a lot of feelings. Those are my favorite clients. And that shows up in so many different ways, right? Like sometimes it is just really like a softness the client has because they're just, they've been told their feelings are wrong. And that's part of how the eating disorder functions for them. It's like shoving feelings down, or there's people who have really big feelings that are very activist-like and they keep it internal and part of the eating disorder functions in that way. So I do tend to work with a lot of therapists, practitioners, things like that. And that's honestly, probably if I had to pick one niche, I have people outside of that on my caseload as well, but those are my people. So that's Hannah as a clinician. I feel like I'm envisioning like Russian dolls, like you're in the middle. We're going to, we're going to move out to the. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. So Nourish Colorado, our niche is eating disorders, right? Eating disorders. And we take insurance and we are super compassionate. That was, is my three for Nourish Colorado. We're in an interesting transition actually, because we have found that we need to niche even more. So what we're actually working on is separating our branches of individual work and family work. And through that, we're going to be able to build out different offerings. So we're hoping to do more groups specific to the differences in those. Um, also, we just promoted one of our dietitians to a FBT supervisor. So she's really heading this project, which is awesome to be able to move someone into leadership and um, give them something they can build, build and be proud of. And I can help them be a part of. And we're also going to be able to serve people better. So by separating out FBT work and individual work, that's really going to allow the clinicians to niche in to each of those categories, to the extent that they want to get certain trainings on them, really be working with those clients and hit their stride. Question with that, because you have a group practice, you have lots of people, lots of clinicians. As the group practice owner, how do you keep tabs on the type of clients that your clinicians enjoy working with? So I meet with all of my clinicians once a week, whether it's 30 minutes or an hour. Sometimes with folks who have been at the practice longer, they do supervision with one of our other supervisors at the practice. And so our time together is really catching up, making sure they're feeling okay. Um, any admin businessy type stuff that they need to know or need support around and then farewell. So I do talk to my team obviously on a regular basis. And so through that, I learn the clients they want to work with the clients they have a hard time working with, um, the clients that they're learning a lot from when we assign clients to clinicians, we have a, uh, sheets in Google where each clinician has an, has their name in it. And then they have three niches written out of people they really like. So maybe it's teens, maybe it's athletes, maybe it's folks in the LGBTQ community. And this can be based off of who they like working with and also identities held. And I leave it up to the team of who do you want to work with? Because we want this job to be as fulfilling as it possibly can. And if you feel like someone's not a good fit, do not take them on because that only hurts the clinician and the client. And it feels really awesome to be in that spot. Cause I know when we first started, obviously we want to fill people's caseloads. We want to get them in the work. We got a business to run here. People got to make, you know, their money. And so a lot of people do start more general and it goes back to needing the experience to know what they like working with. And now we're really at a point of like, we have many clinicians to choose from and we can find the best fit. And it's so cool to have people liking working with different things. I'll tell you, some of our clinicians only want to work with active eating disorders 
don't love intuitive eating. They love doing intuitive eating. They just really like the high intensity of eating disorders. I was going to say, thanks for, thanks for giving us a peek into how that looks, because I think, yeah, it's such a, I can only imagine it's such a hard balance as a practice owner of wanting to fill their caseload while also making sure that they are not getting burnt out by doing work that they don't want to be doing. Absolutely. And then the next level, right. Is if I know somebody in our community who really is an excellent fit for a client that reached out to my practice, even though all of my clinicians are skilled, I'm still going to refer them out and be like, Oh no, no, you need to work with this person if they have availability. And it feels cool to just be able to honor all sorts of people's niches in so many ways. Oh, I love that. I, this, our community of eating disorder clinicians, weight inclusive clinicians is just incredible of, of getting to be able to really own that community over competition mindset and doing what's best for the client. Yeah. We have to do what's best for the client. This is a whole nother conversation that we will probably record a podcast on, but doing things only driven by what you need for the business is not okay. When you are doing clinical work, we truly have to prioritize our clients and their needs. And sometimes that means referring out. Absolutely. Okay. So you walked us through kind of your niche of nourished Colorado. What about values driven group? It's still weird to me voicing the name into the, the ether because, you know, for a while it's just Hey, I do business coaching for group practice owners who are in my space. And now to have like an official business values driven group website coming soon. PS, it looks dope. Morgan did design it and I can't wait to show you guys. It will definitely be in a newsletter sometime in the future. So get on our newsletter list. At values driven group, it's more general and niched. It's really weird. So Values Driven Group is the umbrella for all the services I do to offer business support to weight-inclusive clinicians and practitioners and folks who have businesses in the space. So the three big things I focus on are having a group practice and support around that. The other thing that I support and help others in the space with is insurance and billing for dietitians. The third thing is having a group membership It is not launched yet, but it will be soon. And this is a way to build community and have people come together in an affordable and helpful way to discuss business type stuff. That piece is still being worked out because I really, my brain goes in so many directions of what I actually want to do with that. I'll probably do a group practice sector and then also a solo practice sector and support some of those folks. And yeah. So it's like, I could niche in as, as much as I wanted to. And right now I really want to keep those things broad and see what the opportunities are that could come up in each of those, but it's still niched in that. I only work with weight inclusive clinicians who take insurance and are working from a values driven place. Hence the name values driven group. Ah. Love it. It says the niche in, in the business name. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, thanks for for sharing about that too. I love that we're able to go through examples in our own businesses because I feel like the businesses that we have kind of collective are, they touch on so many different income streams that weight inclusive clinicians can have. So it's fun to be able to like name all of those. I know we were talking a little off mic about that of like how cool it is to do this project while we walk the walk and really feel like we know what we're talking about and we inco- we cover so much in the business space. So I am so appreciative of that. Speaking of your businesses, tell us about the niche within things that you have going on. Yeah. So kind of touched on it already with my design studio being kind of honing in on that a little bit more. I started my design studio, honestly working with anyone. And it, then I was like, didn't like the idea of working with men. I don't know why I just liked the idea. Female empowerment, I guess we'll go with that. Non-men as well. Non-men. Yeah. Um, so working with women entrepreneurs, it felt good. And so I did that for a while and I, uh, 
it was, it was cool getting to work with, I worked with like a real estate agent and someone who, uh, did Facebook ads Well, she's doing that now. I honestly don't quite remember what she was doing whenever we worked together, but that was, that's what she does now. And trying to think of who else I worked with a dietitian, uh, who had a different emphasis that wasn't, I don't know if she's like non-weight inclusive, but she definitely, we didn't like focus on that aspect. And then finally got to niche down. And I know I shared this in my business story a little bit. So if you want more information on it, you can definitely go listen to that. But whenever I decided to niche down to work exclusively with like eating disorder clinicians or weight inclusive clinicians, it was because I was working as an eating disorder dietitian and was having enough conversations with people who were like, I need a new website. I don't want to do this myself, but it takes more energy to explain to a web designer what I do. And they're wanting to put triggering shit on my website, like salads and fruit only as like the top image. So cliche, so cliche. And as, as I can only imagine that if you go to school to do graphic design and, and like, you probably do have a pretty, pretty stereotypical view of what a dietitian is or what a therapist is when you put like the cliche, like someone laying down on a couch image, like it's rough, it's rough. And so having been in the industry, understanding how private practices work, understanding the different levels of care with eating disorders, knowing the lingo, having practice from that, it just made sense to work with those people. I also knew that our values were probably pretty in alignment because that's a pretty strong value that I hold. And so getting to just work with other people, uh, it allowed me to not have to sift through and, and have tough conversations about, about our values being in alignment. Absolutely. And it's just, it's been incredible. I, I had people, whenever I decided to do that, they're like, seriously, Morgan, like that's really niche. Or even now when I go to networking events and people ask like, Oh, what do you do? I'm like, Oh, I run a design and strategy studio for eating disorder clinicians. They like get so bug-eyed and tilt their head. They're like, you have enough clients doing that. Like that's really niche. And I said, yes, there's actually more clinicians than you think there are in the world that do that. And being able to know the specifics of the industry and bring knowledge, business knowledge to that. I love it. I love what I do. I really empathize with the bug-eyed people at the networking event. Cause I think that's what I used to think about niches is how are you going to get clients? If you're so specific, how can there be enough clients for you to work with when it's oddly specific? But the truth is, if you know your industry, like you were saying, and you find your people, there is only going to be more of those people, especially when it has such a big, important mission behind it. Like Hayes does weight inclusivity. Yeah. And I know we've talked about this before too, but like, we're also only one person. Like I, we can only take on so many clients, you with business coaching, but also with eating disorder clients, me as a designer and strategist, like I can only work with so many people. So even if there were fewer people than there were to work with, it would still be enough to be able to keep it as a niche. Exactly. Yep. And then I just want to end to talking about the niche of weight inclusive innovators, because I think this definitely ties into everything that we've been saying so far. But when Hannah and I were meeting and both realized our love for business education in a space where people went to school for nutrition and psychology and not business, we both were just reflecting on and getting so pissed off at all of the business information that is out there for entrepreneurs is mainly written or spoken by white men whose primary driving factor is profit, which profit's important. We've talked about that before. You can't have a business without profit, but they use like bro marketing techniques, which is a term that I uh, heard from one of my friends, Kendall Cherry, who's a copywriter of bro marketing, which is like, just like the icky salesy, like type tactics. Like I think whenever I say bro marketing, I think of like frat bros trying to like convince me to go to a frat party. I'm too old to be thinking about that, but that's what I 
think of or like like the stereotypical like New York City finance bros like that kind of reputation which all of those things are so against what Hannah and I are about the other piece of that was when you if you do get into a space where you're learning from female entrepreneurs how much of their advice is rooted in weight stigma and weight loss rhetoric. And so we said, no, thank you. Fuck that to all of it. And that's why we do what we do. Yes. I'll even say it's in the space with the old white men as well. I cannot even tell you how many times I've heard managing your budget is like counting calories, blah, 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 blah. And we're, we're just like internal scream over here. You don't need that. We'll provide plenty of other metaphors and examples for you that have nothing to do with food and bodies. Yes, especially negative connotations of food and body. Especially negative connotations, for sure. But we want to know from you, if you have a niche, what your niche is, how you came to it, what differentiating factors you bring to your business, if you've had any trouble with your niche, because I think to touch on kind of that scarcity mindset, like we're in the business where we're usually not making money unless we're seeing clients one-on-one. And so there has to be a balance of niching versus taking clients on because you need to support yourself financially while still, while still doing that within your values. Obviously we're not going to, you know, promote taking on people that are like way outside of your what you believe in. Um, but would love to know kind of what that balance has looked like for you as a weight inclusive clinician and business owner. Yes. And also if you are someone with like a super intense, very specific niche, we want to hear it, like make it weird that too. Yeah. People, people give you the bug eyes whenever you tell them (laughs) what type of people you work with and be like, Oh, that's really specific. Like send us a message. We want to talk to you. We want to hear from you and how it's going for you until next week. Thanks for listening to the weight inclusive innovators podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the pod on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast, please leave us a rating and review, share this episode with your business bestie and check out our website at weightinclusiveinnovators.com for access to all of our episodes and our show notes. We will see y'all next week. Bye.